When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to another episode of Friends from Work. My name is Robbie Earl. And I'm Kyle Sconowell. And we are so excited to be back for another week. We are in the middle of an epic rewatch journey through the MCU all the way to Endgame. But we are watching these movies in something of a different order than how they were released, uh, hoping that maybe it tells kind of a different story, hopefully maybe a better story. Um, which brings us to this episode, which is the second in our rewatch, and one that I'm pretty excited about. Kyle, do you want to tell us about it? Last night, we watched Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel was released on February 27, 2019. It's directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, and it stars Brie Larson, Samuel L. Jackson, Ben Mendelsohn, Jude Law, and Lashana Lynch. Now, Robbie, before we get started, I want to give... Um, Two pieces of background information for everybody, okay? Okay. So one is that when Robbie and I hit record on this podcast, it's the first time we've actually given our thoughts on the movie we're talking about. So it's the freshest take we can give. Right. So I don't know what Robbie's going to say, and he doesn't know what I'm going to say. So I'm interested (laughs) specifically regarding this movie because I feel like this movie's a little bit polarizing. Yeah. My second thing is... We were originally going to watch the movie tonight and then do the podcast tomorrow, but I watched it last night and the movie stuck with me and sat with me so much that I legitimately had a hard time sleeping last night. (laughs) So so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. So I was, I was bothered. So I texted Robbie and said, can we just do the podcast right away tomorrow morning? He obliged. And so here we are. But Robbie, before we get into like the nitty gritty of what worked, what didn't work and our main takeaways from the film. I want to know, how did you feel about the timing of watching this movie second? And I say that because I think it was probably a little bit better for anyone who has watched these movies before to put this movie here because a lot of our issues and concerns that we had with Captain Marvel in the original release order was because it was right before Endgame. Did you feel like this was any better? Yes or no? Uh, Yes. Um, You know, I had some... I had some worries about putting this movie here. I really wrestled with where this should go in the viewing order as I was constructing it. And I'll say kind of what those concerns were, um, and then I'll say why I feel like they were outweighed by the benefits. Um, Pros and cons. Pros and cons, yeah. Cons, Uh, and I think you might agree with some of these, so feel free to chime in. 
it's a bit jarring, I think, to go from Captain America, World War II, like, you know, allies versus the Nazis to space war with green aliens that can change into other people. And laser hands. And laser hands. So I want to pause you just because I think that that's actually my biggest problem with this order is that one fact. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not just a little jarring. It's very jarring. Right. And so jarring that I would almost say if you've never seen the movies before, I don't know that I would throw Captain Marvel here because I'm a little bit concerned that when it's in this order, it almost belittles Captain America's story and the upcoming Iron Man stories because this movie feels so big and so galactic that it makes those feel a little weird. Do you feel that at all? I, I agree there. And I, I think in terms of a first-time viewing, there's also something to be said for the way that Nick Fury is introduced in Phase 1 and then Phase 2 and then Phase 3 and then us finally getting his backstory on some level feels a little bit more natural to me than this being our first real introduction to Fury just because... It's kind of more fun in retrospect being like, oh, look, he was you know, kind of goofy in the 90s and not the same kind of badass guy that he is now. But right, if we, but if that's your first introduction to him, right. it's not like the accurate Nick Fury that we know. Right, right. And so I think as a first-time watcher, that is a bit of an issue. Um, you know, again, the other thing that I, that I struggle with here is I really like the idea of beginning the MCU with Captain America and then Iron Man, which is how I originally had this list prior to Captain Marvel's release. And I think that, I don't know, maybe you agree, like that feels like a very poetic and kind of symmetrical way to to begin the series since it later ends with both of those characters' stories being closed off. And those characters are just at the heart of the entire run. And so I think there's something that felt right about that and so I had a little bit of a problem inserting Captain Marvel in there. Um, but, Kyle. Yeah, so why did you? Okay. So, as I was thinking about this, um, and again, thinking mostly for a rewatch, um, and thinking kind of what I wanted out of this, I, I do think that the chronological thing has a certain appeal to me. And, I, you know, I think it needs to be said an appeal to the Russo brothers as well. Um, Captain America, then Captain Marvel, is the way they recommended rewatching all the movies in preparation for Endgame. Okay, which I think says something because they yeah, it does know it does. you know they know things um, <laughs> they, they know a little something. <laughs> and so here's what I like about it, Kyle. Okay, one, I know that it's jarring to go from World War II to space battles, but it's also kind of less jarring than it than it sounds like because one of the last scenes we have in Captain America is the Tesseract kind of erupting in this crazy blue space light and the Red Skull getting sucked out of it. Okay. And the, the first scene that we have in Captain Marvel is kind of this like blue energy slow motion stuff that we later find out is from the Tesseract. Okay, so there's a little bit of a tie there. Which I kind of like. So it's not just, right? Like you have to remember, Captain America was not just like a war movie. Like we had... We had people shooting Tesseract-powered weapons. I mean, and so, and then at the end, you have that obviously very sci-fi moment True. with the Red Skull. Um, the other thing that I like is just the way that it continues the Tesseract story um, in terms of what's going on with the Tesseract before we meet back up with it. And I think 
the Thor post credit scene right before Avengers. No doubt that watching them this way, I noticed that. That obviously we're putting a huge emphasis on the Tesseract early on. <laughs> which, which I think honestly is, I mean, that the Tesseract ties the entire phase one together. I mean, especially if you look back at it in terms of release order, obviously Marvel did not know that Iron Man was going to turn into a full-on successful Avengers franchise. So Iron Man was not pointing in that direction. But especially, I mean, Thor and Captain America and the Avengers are all, like, they all involve that to some degree. Okay, so I hear that. Here's kind of my big bombshell. We could talk all day about whether it should be right before Endgame or right after Captain America. I don't know that there's much debate about a different spot, but between those two locations, I get that we could argue either way. And I actually think that, you know, if you've already seen these movies, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. But here's what I think bothered me so much, Robbie. And this is, this is so polarizing. You ready for this? I just don't even know that the movie was necessary in the infinity saga period. I think that's what bothered me so much about this movie is to me, it feels like an easy solution for me, I think would have been why not release Captain Marvel as a phase four character. Now that we're fully galactic and we're moving forward, toss her in after Endgame to help carry the torch going forward. But to have her be this ultimate overpowered character that's just out there it just creates more questions than it gives answers. So my, I guess my my big two critiques of the movie existing, so not the critique of the movie itself, not the nitty-gritty, but the fact that the movie exists. In phase three. In phase three, there's two things that bother me the most about it. And then we can get into the actual movie. But the two things that bother me are, I think the movie creates plot questions that just aren't necessary by her coming into this phase. And... The character itself has a little bit of the Superman effect, which is that she's so yeah. powerful, so overpowered, and so not um, vulnerable or relatable that it creates this like trump card scenario that leads to these questions of like, well, where was she? Right. So even this movie right. coming out, if you put it before Endgame, then you get questions of like, even what Rhodey says, where have you been all this time? You get questions right. of why didn't Fury um, call her during any of those things? How far away is she? Once Fury pages her, how long does it actually take her to get there? Is that a problem? Did she ever check in on Earth? If she didn't check on Earth, why was she so obsessed with Earth in the 90s and then just didn't you know decide, I'm not even going to check on it? If you can fly that fast, can't you even stop by? Um, did she check right. on it and maybe Fury just didn't feel the need to tell anybody? There's just a lot of questions that are created from this movie being released at this time. Whereas to me, if you wait, then Endgame can be the closure to the original characters that we have. And then you go forward with her and, and lead this forward. Now, well, to your, to your first point, it gets a little exhausting to just introduce all of these new heroes that are popping up further down the line, like after the original Avengers, which is obviously what Captain Marvel is, right? But I think by putting her back in the 90s, it sort of creates the illusion, hopefully, I think that was the intention, that she's again been there in the background this whole time so that she can come in, sort of interact with the original team, and then by the time that the original team is essentially disbanded, for all we know, at the end of Endgame, when she comes around again in the next phase... She's not like this new kid on the block. She has enough kind of weight behind her to actually hold down 
whatever the, the future of the MCU looks like. Do you agree that it, it does create a lot of, I'm not going to call them plot holes because there can be explanations for right. it, but it creates a lot of questions that you would have to then just go on like a practical ledge to fill in these gaps. To me, the movie itself is the anti-Rogue One, which is what we talked about before. A movie that goes back and fills all the gaps to make the originals better. This one just creates more, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, yes, I, 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 for the most part, agree with you here because I do think that it creates questions. I can't really make it make sense that they're in that moment when it looks like the Avengers are losing in New York that Fury wouldn't have thought, okay, well, I should call this super powerful superhero that I've known. Okay, well, a devil's advocate would say, well, maybe once he pages her, she's on the other side of the galaxy, it still may take her, you know, two days to get back. All right, that's fair. That's a good point. So, like, yeah. my point is there are explanations that could be given to every single thing, but this movie just creates more need to go through those. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to get into every individual one. I. But my, my other point is, you know, and then we can eventually, we can move on from the timing thing, but this was these were some of my pros actually in, in putting it here because I know what you're saying in terms of creating plot holes, but I also do like some of the characters being back here could make them more meaningful. But mostly I really like to having this time with Coulson where he's a really likable character, which then goes into Iron Man where he's like kind of a funny, quirky character. And then Iron Man 2 where he gets a lot of personality. And then Thor where he has a fairly big role. So that by the time we get to Avengers, he's had kind of this whole arc and growth that we've seen so that whenever he dies in Avengers, I think that scene could potentially hit harder because we've seen how much history he has with Fury. We've seen how long he's been at this and that, you know, we have, we just, we have had more time to be kind of more invested in him. And so I think to the extent the movie does stuff like that and, you know, again, and stuff like with the Tesseract where we've seen what's been going on with that. Like, I, I think it does feel, it does a little bit of Rogue One work that I appreciate. I hear that. Are you concerned about her powers being too powerful this late in the game? I'm not, just because, again, I, I think it's easy to characterize her as virtually invincible or super unrelatable, but I don't think that's really fair because most of the Captain Marvel solo film is about her being relatable, and it's about her trying to kind of overcome everyone telling her she's not enough. It's about her being kind of, you know, played around with this entire time by the Kree and then and then sort of by the scrolls and and her not really being in control of her own life. And so I think in some ways she's really relatable in, in that regard. I think the only time that we would say, oh man, she's kind of got the Superman effect is the last, what, 20 minutes of the film, 25 minutes of the film. And I and it's not this thing where we see her necessarily being Invincible. I think it's easy to look back on it that way, but there's there's no one moment where it's like, it's not like with with Thanos, right? Where you know you have that crazy moment with Tony at the end of Infinity War, and he gives him everything he has, and you get the one drop of blood. It's I, I like, just I, I think I just wanted it dialed down. If her powers are on eleven right now, can we just dial it down to eight? I mean, that's, I mean, that's I, fair. She but, can still be super powerful, but it, I feel like that last twenty minutes. But she doesn't. By the way. Well, I think I think in the movie they did a good job actually of for the first hour forty, I, I can agree with everything you're saying. In those last twenty minutes, they obviously wanted to make her 
you know, have her moment where she realizes her powers, but just dial it back a teeny bit because when you go that intense, it? it throws things off. Okay. So what is it that actually happens in the Captain Marvel film, not Endgame, that makes you think she is so ridiculously overpowered? I mean, she flies through Kree spaceships, or at least at least like blows them up okay. with her hands. Okay, she blows them up, but I, I guess I'm saying, what have we seen her do other than you know be glowing in space that Thor hasn't also done? Fly at light speed. <laughs> I fair, mean, fair. Where you're correct is like, yes, if that's her one power, flying at light speed, then I can buy that. I guess what I'm looking for is just some sign of vulnerability. And there is very little sign once she has her power that she could be like defeated or have that vulnerability. I really do like how in Endgame, there's one little scene where Thanos uses the power stone to like blow her back and it does blow her back and like knock her out. Right. That That's like the first look we get because even though Thor is so powerful, um, we still get a lot of scenes of Thor like near death and it's believable to me. Like in Ragnarok, I believe that Hela actually could physically kill him. And in Endgame, there's a moment where Thanos is pushing his axe back into Thor's chest. And I believe in that moment, if Cap hadn't intervened, Thor could die. Right. But my point is, it's a while before we see Thor that vulnerable. Like, I think it says something that in the Thor movie, the whole conceit was that he was only vulnerable because he was stripped of his powers. And even then, we see him like fly through the whole shield base, taking everybody out without any powers. Like, so I think the understanding really is at the end of Thor, when he's gotten his powers back, I think on some level, he is kind of as invincible from what we see as... Captain Marvel is at the end of Captain Marvel. I'm not I think Captain Marvel is ultimately more powerful than Thor. I think the the movies are setting that up, but I guess what I'm saying is it's not that she's so much more powerful that she's a cheat code. Like I don't think that we get that sense because even if you look at the way she fights in Captain Marvel, she's not she's not just like, you know, with a thought blasting everybody apart with her with her laser powers or whatever. And Jude Law puts up a little bit of a fight. Right. In Captain Marvel. I mean, in that last fight, right? I mean, she gets she gets knocked down even after she's at full power. She's doing hand-to-hand combat. It's not like she's... That's my point. It's not like this kind of thing where it's like she suddenly has this one move that just totally destroys everything around her. I think the ship scenes that you're talking about, you know, and, and I think a lot of what you're picturing is the scene in Endgame where she flies down... I think a lot of that is just by virtue of her being able to fly super fast and have whatever kind of aura around her that keeps her from getting hurt. But I don't think well, that that necessarily means that she's suddenly like, you know, the nuclear option on the battlefield. Well, and I know you and I have had this conversation in the past, but one of the things we've brought up is Wanda, right? And Wanda's powers being so strong that she's able to throw ships just with her hands and she in Endgame is about to kill Thanos with basically her bare hands um, without right. intervention happening. Right. But so, so then something I need to wrestle with on my own time, <laughs> something <laughs> I need to sit with is why does, why does Captain Marvel then bother me? Is it because of the timing? Is it because of something in the movie? Because Wanda doesn't bother me. Like knowing that Wanda has that much power doesn't bother me. So that's just something I need to figure out. Let's talk really briefly about 
what we think worked and didn't work specifically to this film. What are your thoughts? Okay, I liked Samuel L. Jackson just a yep. lot as an actor. I like him and Brie Larson's kind of buddy cop shtick. I think that's fun. Yeah, um, I had notes again that you know Samuel Jackson's really good. I really love um, Ben Mendelsohn. I love him also with all these Rogue One references. By the way, right? I love him in this movie. I love his character, um, and I thought in general the performances from him, Jude Law, Sam Jackson, and Lashana Lynch are really good to me. I think so too. Yeah, he he is. And I remember seeing this when the movie came out in the reviews. I think he undoubtedly steals the show. Uh, ben Mendelsohn does just because he, you know, he just offers a, another compelling care. And, you know, and this is also one of the first times in a Marvel movie that we've seen um, the a big bait and switch like that, where the villain turns out not to be the villain. Okay, so that's what I was going to say. My favorite part about the movie is the actual plot and the plot twists. Right. Like, so in some ways, what's funny about our earlier discussion is I was the opposite of you. I went into the movie originally expecting to not like it very much because of all these concerns I had. And I kind of, I liked it. And the more I've watched it, the less I've liked it, if that makes sense. So, and whereas you've kind of grown into it, mine's grown down. But do you think, is that about the movie or is is that about the movie as it exists within the Infinity Saga? You're you're right. Not the specific movie. The movie itself, the plot and the plot twists are really good and really fun. I love it. Again, not knowing all the comic book lore, that was such a good surprising twist to me that she's, like I didn't know anything about her so I actually was assuming she was Kree, you know? And so figuring out all these things about how she's human and the plot twists of the scrolls, all that I would give like A+. Well, and that's another thing that I kind of like about having this set where where we did it. Um, not to go back into the timing discussion too much, but I was watching it thinking, you know, the, the kind of story that we're telling here is going from Captain America, then waking up to someone on another planet. I think for the longest time, there's something kind of cool about, okay, how does this connect at all to anything? And then whenever she touches down at Blockbuster, realizing like, oh, this is not a space movie. This is an Earth movie. And then once the Tesseract, like then being like, ah, okay, this like there's a thread here. I think is really cool because of that of that reason. Yeah, I think in general, by the way, all the '90s references to '90s Earth is fun. Yeah, yeah, it is well done too. The visuals are also really great. I know we talked about them relative to Captain America, and it can be jarring, but as we talked about in the Captain America episode, these are the kind of visuals I prefer. Sure. So there's actually a lot of, I think, really cool-looking scenes. Right. Um, like one of the coolest-looking scenes we've gotten in, in the MCU thus far is when she shoots the core. That whole absorbing scene is really cool to me. Oh, no, it's really great. Yeah, the visuals there are, are fantastic. Best scenes, okay? I wrote down uh, Talos's reveal at the farmhouse when he first talks to them and explains it is one of my favorite scenes. And yeah. there's a couple amazing lines. I'm not going to get all the way into it, but when – you deceive us, and then she's like, well, then who's that outside? And he's like, okay, fair point, fair point. All right, those right. kind of acknowledgments from him make this really funny. One of my other favorite yeah. scenes is when they're going to space. Sam Jackson says, is this typical space turbulence? Right. And he just does the no, <laughs> like shaking his right, head. Right, he right. has a lot of great moments. So he would be the guy that I would say won the movie, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, the plane crash scene with the transformation uh, is yep. awesome. And then lastly, her realizing her powers for the first time is really cool. Um, right. Those are my favorite scenes. 
I I would the only one that I would add because you covered a lot of mine is I really like the the way that the last fight goes down between her and Jude Law's character, who is what Yanrog. Yes, that his? yeah, it's a weird name. Um, I think I, I was listening to the director's commentary, and they were talking about how originally that was supposed to be written as a very climactic brawl. They were really going to go against each other, and she was going to come out on top. But then they had a moment, which she ultimately basically says in the scene, where they realize she no longer really has to play by the rules of engagement that he's set. Right, right, right. And I really, I, I remember thinking that that even the first time I saw it. Um, yeah, me too. That was a cool moment. That was just what is one of my favorite. Like the, I don't have anything to prove to you, line. Yes. I just think it's really great. Oh, the, the yeah, the last thing I was going to say that I, you know, and, and you can debate this, but I do like the way that they make this feel, even though it's huge in scope in terms of the Kree versus the scrolls and the sort of intergalactic thing, it's also very, you can believe that no one on Earth was aware of what was going on. Right, right, right. Like, I like that it's not, it's not something where we're just, you know, we get to end game and it's like, well, how would no one have, have, you know, remembered all this going on? Like, I think they did a good job of keeping it pretty contained in terms of the timeline. Right. Um, okay, what didn't work? Why don't you start? Because I feel like I'm always attacking. You start with something you didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Um, <laughs> I did not like. I did not like the choice to put. Uh, I'm just a girl in the final fight. It's scene. one of the worst moments in the entire movie. I, I and I, did I not, don't get it. Yeah, I think it's, I think they want to be guardians like, and the song itself just doesn't work. I don't know. I don't get it. I mean, it's it's funny because I, I I can get a sense of the tone they're going for, and I was listening to the commentary, and they talked about how they actually really debated a while on what song to put there, and they tried, I think, to you know maybe have even more of a Guardians vibe, which I'm not sure that would have worked either, to do songs from the 60s or 70s or 80s, and finally landed on, well, it should be a 90s song because that's been the whole soundtrack. I just don't think that, that just the music itself, yes, it's yes. not any on any symbolic level, but just the music does not sing. That's well. what I was going to say. I, it sounds to me like they chose it because of the lyrics, which makes sense, but the, the music right. itself does not give the right tone. It's not the right vibe. Yeah. Emotionally. Yeah. It bothers me. The other thing that, uh, or, or another thing that kind of irks me some, I, this is maybe a question. Do you think fury is a little too jokey? No, that did like, not stick out to me at least. I, I, but I guess but I just, why did he go from so jokey to 10 years later just being so, like, tough, rough? Yeah, just so dead, like, because he's already been a spy, right? Like, it's not like we're meeting right. super young, like, totally naive Fury. I mean, he's already a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. I mean, but and, he has he has one-liners in all the movies. This is just, like, a, a slightly more naive he, version. It's true. It's true. And, and, and that's the thing. I'm not quite, I even have a question mark here just because I'm not quite sure it bothers me, but there's something about it where I'm just like, can I, can I totally see the progression from that character to the next? And I think the reason I can, and I'm ultimately fine with it is because the way that you see him interact with other shield members is pretty similar to how you ultimately see him interact further down the line. I think the only time he's like really kind of fun and jokey is with, Carol, yeah, which I actually like because then it's just they kind of have a really unique relationship. Is I think what it's trying to show us. 
So that's actually one of the things I had under my good category is that Nick Fury and Carol's relationship is really good. And I actually think that Carol's friend, LaShawn Lynch, does a really good job of acting her relationship with Carol. But call me crazy, but I feel like Brie Larson hasn't really settled into her role yet. She comes off as a little stiff in this movie. Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy. I I feel the same way. Um, I kind of equate it to like Thor 1 Thor versus like Thor Ragnarok Thor. I'm hoping that eventually she kind of gets more comfortable with it like he did. Yeah. You know, part of it though is, yeah, I get what you're saying. I'm not sure that the character changed that much in Endgame though. No. Which, I mean, to be fair, she filmed those at the same time. Exactly. I was going to say that. It didn't, but yeah, they filmed it at the same time, so she still didn't. In fact, I'd even read that some of those scenes were filmed first. Before her own movie. Yeah, I think that's right. So, like, that's some right. of that is she doesn't even know how to fully be Carol Danvers yet. But her little, like, um, and this is way micro-analyzing, but her, like, facial expressions and, like, lack of emotion in times makes it harder for me to believe that she has to, quote-unquote, control her emotion. In some ways, I, it looks like she walks through yeah. the movie, but the movie itself is about controlling your emotion and I just don't get that. You, you see what I'm saying about that balance? She doesn't no, yeah, seem yeah. like no, an over, overly yeah. emotional actress to start with. Yeah, well, and, and the way she's playing it is very kind of deadpan. Deadpan and like she has hardly any big facial expressions, just these little smirks. I don't know. It just feels a little stiff. It yeah. feels like Thor 1 Thor. That's all. I think, yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it works a lot of the time there are just a few moments where, yeah, I feel what they were going for and it doesn't quite land. And I'm not sure if that's, I, I don't know, the fact that I think it's kind of there in, in Endgame as well makes me think it, it may be her more than a directing thing, but there are times when I've watched Captain Marvel that I'm like, man, I feel like maybe this is this is di- a direction kind of delivery issue. Um, but no, I, I feel that as well. I think that there are times, it, it's not bad by any means. It just doesn't quite... It's certainly not on the level of like Ben Mendelsohn. Right. Like I was going to say, if you had to rank the performances, she would be towards the bottom. And that's not to say it's terrible, but I feel like Nick's Fury sold right. his better. Sam Jackson sold his, her friend sold hers. Ben sold his a little right. more to me. Right. I think one thing that I do, it's interesting because we talked about one of the, one of the, big perks of Captain America being the acting, which I think was just pretty much, for the most part, thoroughly great. Right. Um, I think here, not just Brie Larson, um, I also think while Lashana Lynch, like you said, was, I think, perfect and and actually really compelling as a character to me, her daughter, who I believe is played by Akira Akbar, was not... It was not strong no, to no. me, and I don't want to pick on a on a <laughs> right. child actor, but it's it's if you look at other child actors, I mean, you look at at the yeah, Iron Man yeah, three kid, yeah. you look at Cassie and yeah. Ant Man, you look at Morgan yeah. in Endgame, Amen. like there are other, you know Amen. what I mean? There are other performances that they just you don't you don't have to kind of give them a break, like they just they knock it out of the park. And if you had to rank child yeah. actor performances in the MCU, this would also be towards the bottom. It's definitely not Cassie, yeah. And it's definitely not um, the, the I'm forgetting his name, the kid from Iron Man Three. Yeah, it's not as natural feeling. No, I mean, that's her, the it thing. just feels a little more forced for her. But again, it's a kid, so I'm not gonna. <laughs> right, I'm not gonna like bully. <laughs> it's just it's one of the. It just feels a little strange. I don't know. It, it's one of those things where 
Actually, maybe, to me, the cheesiest scenes in the movie are the interactions between Brie Larson yes. and her. I don't feel those, and, it, and it's like, and I really think I'm supposed to. Right. I think that those are supposed to be kind of like heart of Carol moments right. in the same way that you kind of had some of those like heart of, of Steve moments in the last film. And, you know, I, I don't know. Okay, so what are some of your other takeaways about what's foundational? I actually had very little for a movie that's gonna, I felt like was gonna be very important. I didn't have a ton from this film in particular that's gonna set up the future. Obviously, it introduces that there is a galactic like universe part of this. Um, right. I'm still not sure if introducing it this early is good or bad, but it does show us that this is a Fair. lot larger than just Earth. And. It obviously right. is a precursor to the Avengers as a whole. And, right. um, you know, with Nick Fury at the end saying he needs to find more heroes. And um, right. the Tesseract's very important and you, and you see the power of it. Um, but other than that, I don't know that there was a whole lot that's like super foundational that you have to know before you see the others. No, yeah. I mean, in, in that sense, I think you could, if we're talking about what's essential to the narrative, I think... M- you know, obviously most of this could be pulled out because it just came out right before Endgame, so it, it can't have been essential. Well, she's she's gone. Um, That's now, essential to the narrative. She's gone. She's a- that yeah. is essential. Yeah, I, I I do think in terms of not necessarily what's essential, but what I think is helpful or at least you know just kind of fun. Yeah, the Tesseract thing, just kind of knowing where it is, knowing why. One, I, I like the Tesseract as a reason for the Kree to have come to Earth. They've been working on that because the Tesseract's been there since Captain America. Like, So it kind of is tying together this other people in the universe are figuring out that the Tesseract is on Earth, which is kind of right. cool. Can you hold that thought and can I fill um, one thing in that I love? I didn't say this earlier. Yeah. I do love that, you know, I have this affinity for, I want the Infinity Stones to be the strongest thing. I kind of love that you get to see this version of the Kree and they have all this tech and Hala is dope and all this stuff is awesome and yet they still are desperately trying to find this power core, which we know is going to be an Infinity Stone. I like that there's like those levels. Do you see what I'm saying? Like even the yeah, Kree yeah. who are super advanced want this stone. <laughs> so that's another like no, foundational totally. thing that I love about this movie. I know. I, I like that too. And again, I think that that that's one of those other things where I think it, it further kind of enshrines the Tesseract is this sort of core piece of phase one, which I really love. I love that they chose to make the Tesseract a part of this movie. And that's a big part of why I think it works so well at the beginning in phase one. I also like that they introduced uh, project Pegasus. Yeah. Which I think is really cool because again, that's another great kind of fun Avengers tie-in that you, it doesn't mean as much if you see it way down the road, but I think seeing it beforehand, what it is, and then seeing that now that is where Fury has folks studying the Tesseract whenever the Avengers happens and Loki comes through. I think that's really yeah. cool to kind of know what that is moving forward because otherwise it's just a random facility, but now you kind of have some backstory. Um um, and, you know, seeing her put the pager together is also kind of right. a cool thing for just seeing how she's going to be introduced down the road. Um, and then, yeah, what you said about the Avengers initiative with him kind of working on that at the computer towards the very end. I really love that. Again, if we're talking about moving forward from here in the watch order, I kind of love that because what you just said, one, we now know the universe is way bigger. 
Two, we're seeing Fury put together what is going to be the Avenger Initiative, although we don't actually see him type those words out. We just see him look at that on the plane. And I think it's really cool that then the next movie, we're going to see him in the post credit scene with Tony for the first time say the Avenger hmm. Initiative out True. loud. I think that's kind of a cool transition also, yeah. you know? Okay, so what are your last bullet points and then rating of this movie? On Rotten Tomatoes, it has 78% critic, 55% audience, which is a little bit skewed because of all the politics that surrounded this movie, and there was like a campaign to try to smear it, and it was stupid. Right. So that number is lower than it should be, but that's about the range, so you should know. Um, if it helps, I'll give you my quick bullet points, and then you can give me your score, and I'll give you my score. So... But real fast bullet points I wrote down has great plot and great plot twists. Love that. Good performances from Talos, uh, Fury, Marla, and Jude Law. Visuals and tech are awesome. The 90s references are fun. Carol's powers cause problems for me in the MCU. The movie creates a few more questions than answers, and Brie Larson is a little bit stiff and doesn't feel quite settled in. So before I give my score, Robbie, I have to say one last disclaimer. This movie, I think, will be the hardest movie for me to give a score because of everything we just talked about. On a big picture scale, I don't like that it exists where it does. So that would make me give it a a very low score because on a big picture scale, I don't leave loving watching the movie. But the movie itself, the movie itself is a good movie. So I am really torn on my score. Because if you're asking me, like, what's the most rewatchable movie, this would not be high because I don't love how it sits in the MCU. Right. But it's not a bad movie. Like, it's probably a better movie than some of the ones I'm going to rank it on. So this may be kind of like an right. opposite of Captain America thing <laughs> that you had last week. <laughs> so you, you go first. You go first. Okay. So in terms of my final thoughts, I'll say I like the movie. I don't love the movie. I think that there are just some some – acting issues and are arguably some directing issues that just kind of distract me a bit. Um, I do really like it as a, um, as a phase one kind of looking forward film. And so even though I think that there are some problems with, with putting it there, I enjoyed watching it in that order. Um, and so that's kind of where I sit with it. Ranking wise, it is really hard. Um, I would put it at a 76. Okay. Which is is 20 out of 23 on my Wow, on my list. okay. That's yeah. it's that's very low, but that's kind of the same as what happened to me. So I originally had it as a 79 when I first saw it, okay? And after okay. these watches and and this discussion, I I moved it down to a 73. Huh. So wow. I Feel, where is that in your list? Well, I, I'm doing it a little bit differently than you. I don't know 100% where it is in my list, but that will be towards the bottom. Um, I'm okay. trying to leave my overall list open to be changed. So I'm just trying to give it the number kind of relative to right. where I thought it was and then see where they fall at the end of this. Um, okay, that's so, fair. But it's going to be towards the bottom based off what I have right now. Okay. Well, I mean, I think mine could could very much change as we move through. Like I said, I, I haven't moved it up yet because I kind of want to wait and see how I feel about all of these as we go through, like what you're saying. But and it's okay that not every movie is 100, Robbie, and, and we don't have to move every movie up upon a rewatch. In fact, I want some to be able to go down, you know? 
Right. That's true. That's so, fair. All right. So 76 for Robbie. You had an 86 for Captain America, correct? Uh, that is correct. 76 for this movie. I had a 75 for Captain America and 73 for Captain Marvel. So what is next yeah. on our docket? Next on our docket is a movie that I know you're going to be excited oh, about. Baby. <laughs> oh, Iron yeah. Man. Now he knows. He's talking my language right there. <laughs> um, yeah, we're going back to the beginning in terms of release order um, for what will be our number three movie in our new revised order. Iron Man 1 next week. Yep, we're excited. And you guys should let us know what your thoughts are on this movie and especially what your thoughts are on it in the context of this new rewatch order that we have. I, I do think that it's a pretty polarizing decision. Again, one that the Russo brothers also made, which makes me feel very <laughs> validated, but one that I think we could have some interesting discussions about even beyond what we have time to do in this podcast. Absolutely. So let us know what you, what you Absolutely. think. Thank you so much for listening. We are very grateful for all of you. Next week, we are talking about Iron Man 1 on the Friends from Work podcast. Thanks. Thanks.